With kids around, me time runs out fast. Don't waste valuable child-free minutes on a drink run. Instead, get Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly has the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits delivered in under 60 minutes. Get date night rolling before your parents bring him back. How about a living room slip and paint? They'll never know you stole their crayons. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Hi folks, it's Rick Wilson, and welcome to The Enemies List. Joining me today is my good friend, John Avlon. John is an author, former managing editor of The Daily Beast, and host of Reality Check with John Avlon, The Extremist Beat, on CNN. John is a guy who understands the American character, and our conversation that we've been having since 1997 when we first met has always been about where are we going? What is it about this country that makes it different, special? How do we fix the things that are wrong? So I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. And so with that, John, welcome to the enemies list. There was also maintained what was called an enemies list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Hey, folks. Welcome back to The Enemies List. I'm Rick Wilson, and with me today is a good friend of very long standing, John Avalon. You've seen him on CNN. You've read his tremendous books, including his most recent book, Lincoln, The Fight for Peace. He is one of the most thoughtful and cogent uh, folks to look at our, our politics in, in, in the entire country. He is a, he's a guy with, with a lot of wisdom. And John, I want to welcome you to the show today. I am delighted to have you with us, as always. It's been a minute. I think we had hamburgers at the Mineta Tavern a couple of weeks ago, but other than that, that was before the holidays, so here we are again. So, John, I want to start out with sort of the news of the moment that everybody's talking about and get your sort of historical perspective on this fight that just happened in the House of Representatives and the and the tensions in the fights that are seem inevitable going forward from the McCarthy uh, speakership race. And get get your thoughts on that and, and see what you think of, like, draw a little picture for us of what you think the future looks like with this whole thing. Well, the new McCarthy era, so to speak. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, first of all, let's take a step back, as you know, I like to do that. Um, yep. It's important for folks to appreciate that divided government did not always mean dysfunctional government. And it, indeed, when the two parties had disparate wings, you had progressive Republicans, conservative Democrats, you could cobble together a governing majority, even and especially in times of divided government. Wasn't right. perfect, but, you know, if you go back to sort of those... Those you know pivotal three four decades after the the Second World War that was a hallmark of our governance. That stopped being true several days decades ago, but it's gotten worse. And there was something incredibly right. ironic about Newt Gingrich throwing a tantrum about the twenty or so folks on the far right who were holding Kevin McCarthy hostage because it was like those nineteen eighties anti drug videos. You know, I learned it from you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> No, exactly. I mean, if you go back to the, you know, the Conservative Opportunity Society with Gingrich and Mac and all those guys and Phil Graham, you know, they, they were young House members. They were the Matt Gateses of their time. 100 percent. 
they, they were the they were the the terror caucus of their time and the and the moderate Republicans were like, what are these fellows doing? These these ruffians. Well, and we, we've seen this sort of progressive shift that you've 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 lived through, where you know the 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 radicals of yesteryear end up being cannibalized by the new extremes because of the dynamics they they put in play. You know, one of my favorite quotes. You and I've laughed about this. Great. Uh, from bygone era is LBJ, who who uh, had a joke that said, you know, what's the difference between liberals and cannibals? Cannibals don't eat their friends and family members. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's so true. The shoe's on the other foot, and you see that kind of hostage taking uh, and, and cannibalization on, on the far right. But I think what, what was proven over the last week, I mean, Kevin McCarthy ultimately pulled it out in a surreal turn of events, and Margaret and I were on set late into Friday night uh, covering it with Aaron Burnett and Scott Jennings and 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 a, and a real a real good crew David Axelrod, mm-hmm. um, but you know we first of all for everyone who's trying to normalize this and sort of say you know this is just democracy and it's all its glory but with more transparency anything like it's only happened once since the Civil War and we gallop past that benchmark so now we're on eighteen fifty five fifty six in terms of the number of ballots it took for McCarthy to get the speakership and then of course there's a question of what he gave away. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, did he give away his power, in effect, in order to get the title? And I think that's um, that's what's likely to play out. Um, oh, I th- yeah, I think that's I think I think the the deals that we know, the deals that we know about, not not to, to say nothing of the stuff that was decided behind closed doors, the deals we've heard about reduce the power of the speakership to the point where he's always going to be a hostage to these folks. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and it's worth remembering that, you know, not so long ago, i.e. a few weeks ago, Nancy Pelosi had a similarly narrow margin, but none of the divisions. You know, you certainly had an activist progressive caucus, the so-called squad. I'm always fond of the fact that, you know, they, many of them had higher name ID among conservatives than Democrats. But right. be, be that as it may, it held together. So it, it it, it doesn't need to be this way. And, 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 and the question isn't, you know, some of the particular policies they're going to vote on term limits there. There's a handful of these things that on, you know, the surface, the independent voters who swung against Republicans, notably in the midterms, some of the policies, you know, independents wouldn't have a problem with. But the problem is when you start looking at the fact we're going to play, you know, chicken with the debt ceiling again, mm-hmm. um, the, the institutionalization of dysfunction and ideological extremism, which was decidedly not voted for. Uh, this time around. And, um, you know, Democrats have the Senate and the presidency, so there'll be there'll be a counterbalance. But but the debt ceiling in particular, that's a looming, you know, self-inflicted wound that could uh, have disastrous implications. And 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 just the basic financial illiteracy about how that works. I mean, again, it's like Mm -hmm. conservative by refusing to pay the bill after you have a big dinner. So, John, I have a a question for you on this. Who do you think is the sucker in this deal? Because on the one hand, Kevin McCarthy gave away the store to the MAGAs on paper, but now we're coming up on these rules votes, and it seems like a lot of the more normie types of the Republican Party are saying, wait a minute, I may not vote for these rules. I mean, this this seems to me that one group or another is going to come out of this thing very unhappy with Kevin. I don't think there's a there's a, a a soft landing space for the guy on this stuff because if the rules go if the, if the rules committee stuff goes down. And they don't get their investigations and they don't get their extra powers over Kevin McCarthy. Uh, the MAGAs will lose their damn minds. If they do go forward, the more 
and I say this advisedly, normal Republicans will lose their damn minds because they're going to see the next two years as nothing but a big performative, you know, chaos monkey show. <laughs> yeah, and that's the technical term for it. Um, yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, it, this is this is the problem. This is the tension. And, 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 and what's really frustrating for folks in the center, and, you know, I reject all the characterizations, you know, the establishment. No, I mean, it's team normal. It's the people who won you the right. election as narrowly as it was. It's that there are 18 Republicans who represent districts that Joe Biden won. And right. in a functioning political system, those are the people with the most juice, the most people you'd be paying attention to because mm-hmm. the story definitionally depends on them. Um, and I think the center, as usual, lost an opportunity to flex its real political muscle. And frankly, you know, somewhere there in the beginning of day three, I, I wish that Democrats had uh, followed through on some of the conversations and, and uh, you know, had a Republican nominate, um, mm-hmm. you know, a Fred Upton, uh, a Mike Gallagher, you know, a Brian uh, Fitzpatrick, you know, and and sure. uh, and 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 then have Democrats support him because you could easily come up with you know the math to get past two eighteen with that, and and a Republican be in place. And and I made this point on, on CNN, sort of ad infinitum. But you know that very week, beginning on January sixth. Pennsylvania and Ohio, two deeply politically divided mm-hmm. states, divided mm-hmm. GOPs, did just that. They jettisoned the far right. They followed the lead of Alaska. You know, a centrist Republican, conservative by most standards, but not radical, and Trump was, right. uh, banded with the Democrats to say, yeah, we're going to do bipartisan governance with a Democrat, with a Republican leadership, or in Pennsylvania's case, a centrist Democrat who then said, I'm going to become an independent. And we're going to try to change the way we govern to be more bipartisan, which reflects what people want. And, and, and there was an opportunity to completely change the paradigm and repudiate the far right. And it would have been better for Congress, the Republican Party and the Republic if they'd done it. No question uh, about it. And I, and I think they lost opportunity. there. Support for Rick Wilson's The Enemies List comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Wilson. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Wilson. Odoo. Modern management made simple. I think I think you're exactly right on that. I think when you look at both Ohio and Pennsylvania in the last week, these are people who who decided they want to step back from the cliff. Mm-hmm. They want to step back from the the cliff of weirdo MAGA extremism, mm-hmm. and they want to step back from the cliff of you know overly energetic but but frequently counterproductive you know democratic activism in some of these states and find Absolutely. something that functions i mean cuz you you can see places where there's a political monoculture and the failure modes of political monocultures are you know on two different extremes you've got california on one and florida on the other and they both have broken political systems but they're both dominated entirely top to bottom by one party and and i think you're i think people are getting increasingly frustrated with that I mean, you're, you're, you're the Florida expert and certainly you and I, you know, I, I would, I would love to drill down even more on, on, on the dysfunction there in California, you know, congressionally their, their congressional model, the independent redistricting commission, you know, mm-hmm. top two, you get, you, you know, Kevin McCarthy represents California. The, the, the problem is when you get a political monoculture and it's an invitation to 
either ideological overreach or corruption or both. Right. And, um, and New York. And what you need is power really to, to, to cluster around the center. And that means the incentive structures to function. Uh, and, um, and, 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 you know, I don't think the far left fully appreciates uh, how much it's even, even cultural notes end up empowering the far right. Um, all the time. All, you know, and, 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 and this sort of feedback loop between the far right and the far left, where in particular the far right exaggerates the political influence of the far <laughs> left, but they sort of cluelessly end up playing along. And the, right. and, and the result is sort of a, a divi- an even more divided and dysfunctional politics that doesn't represent where the vast majority of Americans are. And that's the point that I'm passionate about, you're passionate yep. about. And, um, and and we need to we need to we need to break this fever because um, you know the people who are cheering for democracy's divide demise love these divides and they try to exacerbate them every day. Uh, that look that's that's the business model of much of the right wing media mm-hmm. of trying to juice up controversies that don't really exist. I, I mean, and we joke always, you know, the war on Christmas, but that sort of thing iterates larger and larger and larger. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of its uh, perceived importance with right-wing voters over smaller and smaller and more esoteric issues. Yep. I mean, critical race theory, the thing that doesn't exist, you know, and Antifa, the thing that doesn't exist, are primary voting you know, motivations now for a lot of these crazies on the mm-hmm. far right. And, you know, as I always say, if George Soros was the socialist mastermind that everyone on the right thinks he is, he's doing a terrible job of it. <laughs> um, and that brings me to a question about like sure. that incentive structure we see out there, and it exists on the left and the right too, sure. to to be a star, to be performative. And you know, I got in a little trouble the other day because I said, you know, Matt Gates and AOC sitting next to each other should surprise no one. They are both performance driven in a large measure. They are both sort of, they love the camera. The camera loves them. They love to churn the other side's ideological, you know, to rustle the other side's ideological jimmies and make things, you know, less policy oriented and more performance art. Um, and our media on on both sides of that equation seems to me, to my mind to be not fully equipped to deal with the moment we're in in that, in that regard. So this is a really interesting and big, big conversation you're introducing. <laughs> you know, first of all, I, th- I think we need to recognize that as much as there is an absolute feedback loop and, and the far left and the far right can often be mirror images of each other, not least in, in, in their illiberalism outside the political arena. Right. Um, um, I, I think that um, it's important to keep in mind their, their qualified differences. And those two individuals are, are perfectly good illustrations. You know, Matt Gates and his coalition you know, sent Kevin McCarthy on a humiliation tour and exacted um, a series of, of demands that could lead to future disasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the so-called squad, which is roughly a third the size of the other coalition, right. had a higher name ID among, you know, Republicans than Democrats, and Nancy Pelosi kept them in line. Um, you know, they, they, they certainly were going to do, they had their political beliefs, and they were going to expand the Overton window as much as possible, but they weren't going to ultimately scuttle legislation when it came right down to it. Or, or, you know, have, be, have the tail wag the dog when it comes to their demands. The political differences, this is one of my favorite stats, and, and I crunched it just to create a sense of, okay, so the perceptions exist, where's the reality, at least as it comes to electoral, elected politics. Right. Near as I could tell in the last Congress, there were seven members of the House of Representatives who supported the policy 
called Defund the Police, which is far and away the most self-defeating branding of anything I could possibly imagine. But, you know, mm-hmm. seven. And then, of course, there were 137 members of the House Republican Caucus who voted to overturn the election after the attack on the Capitol. Correct. And those numbers keep in mind the relative weight we're discussing, even though I think the, the 20 or so who held up McCarthy's speakership is, a, is in some ways a, a tighter distillation. You've got plenty of cowards who want to check the box because they're afraid of a primary but wouldn't try to scuttle sure. their own speakership. But you asked about the media. Okay. So let, let's talk about the, the things we should have learned from, from the last era. One is, you know, Trump successfully exploited one of the underlying facts of media that's is that there's not a liberal bias or conservative bias as much as there is a conflict bias. Sure. And by providing 100%. content every day, Trump was able to attract attention and spawn a series of imitators. Now, that's a problem rooted in human nature, right? You know, you don't write a news article about the train that enters the station on time. Correct. Um, and, and, and if you look at what people are likely to read, they're more likely to read conflict stories. And that is easier to program around in an era where people are voting with their eyeballs every moment in terms of what they actually read and often don't take that sense of, of civic awareness or responsibility into account. The, 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 the second right. dynamic, um, which also has been with us now for a few years, is that social media amplifies disinformation, amplifies conflict, amplifies conspiracy theories. So that genie's out of the bottle, I, or, you know, <laughs> Gollum turns on its creator and starts tearing down society. In the <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, and so that's a very real issue rooted in, in algorithms, in some ways a man-made problem that reflects parts of, of human nature. But exploiting that um, becomes, you know, Easier than ever before to spread disinformation. We know from MIT studies that disinformation travels faster than real information. For sure. Um, And finally, the third dynamic that I don't think we're getting our heads around that is emerging, the other two are relatively understood, but the solutions are are, are not, is that if you look at the three platforms that have grown the fastest over the last two, three years, um, they don't do direct article referrals, right? So I'm talking about TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram. Right. And, and that means the, the writing and reading of long articles and the monetizing of that is withering compared to an even more short attention span distillation of information. And that is easier to spread disinformation on. And, right. and how you communicate real news and information in a, a format that doesn't include articles with all the facts and nuances and, and, and perspectives that are necessary is a whole new problem. We haven't begun to get our heads around. All of which is to say that the responsibilities of journalism to defend democracy and to confront these challenges are incredibly urgent, far from over. Right. Uh, and, and we all need to be experimenting diligently because democracy itself is on the line. All those dynamics are paradises for disinformation, which is a, a glide path ultimately to overturning democracy. You know, when I interviewed those guys from Stop Fake, the Ukrainian dis- counter disinformation unit. Right, I mean, right. A few times. But they began, they, they were created in 2014 after the annexation of Crimea. And, and two things they said really st- stuck with me. One was the goal of Russian disinformation is not to convince, but to confuse. Correct. Right. And, and, and that's why cynicism is in some ways part of uh, the enemy we face. Right. Yep. Because, well, everybody does it. So therefore throw up. They're my- all, they all suck. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And, and, and that's a glide path to saying, well, you know, maybe what if we didn't have these uh, elections, right? Which itself feeds a, a dissatisfaction with majoritarian democracy. 
The second thing is, he said, you know, one of the goals of disinformation is to turn the far left and the far right against the center. And that's that sort of horseshoe theory of politics where the conspiracy mm-hmm. on the far right and the far left start saying, hey, we've got common ground. And um, and what there, really- there's no one there's no one a Republican hates more than a Republican who will make a deal with a Democrat. And there's no one a liberal Democrat hates more than a Democrat who will make a deal with a, with a, with a moderate Republican. And there's nothing hate. They hate nothing more than that. And, and you know what they, you know, and, and then if you really want to extrapolate it, you know, what they really hate is, is, uh, is democratic republics in there. And, you know, going back to the, you know, the, the ratification of the constitution, because guess what? It's all based on principle con- constructive compromise. Nobody gets everything they want. That's the point. Correct. And, and if you want to go wave the founding fathers and the original flag and all that stuff, you know, this is why I wrote wing nuts way back in the day. Oh yeah. Washington's farewell. You know, the, the, Washington warned explicitly about the dangers of hyperpartisanship to democratic republics throughout history. And, and so if you really want to follow the, the, the best examples of the founders or the second founding generation, you know, it, it, you, the, the people who find a way to reason together and cobble together coalitions between the center right and center left Republicans and Democrats, those are the people fulfilling, however fitfully and imperfectly, the founding fathers' vision of how democratic republic works. The people yep. who insist on no cooperation and no compromise <clears throat> Those are the people who want to burn it all down. And they've led to the destruction of democratic republics in the past. Real clear. Yep. Yep. Well, just- Weddings, college graduations, your stepmom placing third in a dog grooming competition. We've all got reasons to gift this summer. So give them something they'll love. Drinks. And get them all from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on beer, wine, spirits, then get them delivered in time for your summer celebrations. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. John, I got one more subject today that uh, yep. you and I are both appearing in a CNN documentary about our old boss, Rudy Giuliani. Oh, yeah. And our, our friend Ken Friedman produced it. And um, uh, the first two episodes were just about as heartbreaking as I thought they'd be. It's interesting because I think among all the Rudy alumni, these conversations went on like a little mosaic for for 20 years almost. And it was like, what's going on? Why is he doing this? What's happening? And and this sort of seems to be a a pretty coherent picture of the decline and fall. And I wanted to get your thoughts on what yeah. you, what you'd seen so far and uh and because it's a question I get asked pretty often, I'm sure you do too. It's like, what's wrong with Rudy? <laughs> what happened to Rudy? I what mean, happened that to is, Rudy? That is that is the 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 number one question I get from um, mm-hmm. a, a certain cadre of folks, particularly you know here in New York. Um, yeah, for sure. You, know, you and I met more than 20 years ago. Yeah, 1997 yeah. campaign, brother. Rudy's reelect. I had just graduated from college. Yep. I was working as an advanced man. and a um, brand new ad guy. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and you know, what, what I think this documentary does and what I've tried to emphasize is, is, is it does a really good job of tracing the arc of Rudy's life and, and look yep. for continuities and, and flow throughs. And if you look at, 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 you know, Rudy as U.S. attorney, um, you know, an Italian American who took on the mob and and, and Wall Street mm-hmm. crime, uh, a mayor who it's hard to overstate uh, what he accomplished. Not that it wasn't without controversy, uh, but I was looking through some of the data because you remember I ended up being sort of keeper of the Rudy record. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, I think it was uh, um, 
68% decline in murder over eight years, 56% decline in crime, cut welfare in half, cut the size of, of the city bureaucracy while increasing the number of teachers and cops, cut taxes, obviously improved the, the quality of life, um, and um, was pro-choice, pro-gay rights, and pro-immigrant. Um, right. and, 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 and was the guy on the, on, you know, the, the first guy to be criticizing the far right in the form of Pat Buchanan and the far left, which at that time, you know, he characterizes you know, Al Sharpton. And um, and that was before 9-11. Yep. Right. And and, you know, I'll never forget. There's that George Will column that says it was America's most successful you know, act of conservative governance since Reagan. I'm very partial to a uh, um, in, in terms of the national impact of what he did in New York. Uh, there was a, a, a New Republic piece from, I think, 90. 5, 96 called the new progressives by Peter Beiner. And it talked I remember about, that uh, piece. Peter yes. Right? Peter Beiner. Yeah. It was, it was the third way approach to mayors and it was Rudy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Dick uh, Richard Reardon in LA, Steve Goldsmith right. in Indianapolis, John Norquist in Milwaukee, Michael White mm-hmm. in Cleveland, you know, a whole cadre of folks who were, who were basically trying to save uh, urban America, many of, but not all Republicans um, by taking on um, some of the, 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 the larger sort of, you know, institutions and and forcing reform. Right. Um, but the net effect was they saved urban America and turned it around and and led to, you know, thing that no one thought was possible, right? The conversation was about managing decline. You know, and then of course there's 9-11, which almost speaks for itself. And and right. to me, the big part of the tragedy of Rudy's, you know, lighting his legacy on fire is that the lessons from that era, um, have become um, less accessible to people. They've lost the credibility they deserve at a time, frankly, when many cities could stand to remember many of those lessons. Oh yes. And um, and 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 I think that's part of, of the tragedy of Rudy throwing all in with Donald Trump. And and the two quotes I use to describe the descent of Rudy without trying to diagnose him, because uh, I am, you know. That, that, that is that is beyond my purview uh, is is, you know, you remember Rudy saying being really passionate about a, 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 the law and saying the law is about a search for the truth. Mm-hmm. And then to see a man who was one of the most distinguished lawyers of his generation use the law uh, as an attempt to overturn an election based on a lie is, right. is, is is a tragic reversal. And the second thing was one of my favorite Rudy quotes, which was. To be locked into partisan politics doesn't permit you to think clearly. And that, to me, sums <laughs> it all up. Because there you go. <laughs> the ways that Donald Trump twisted and contorted Rudy's best judgment, at the end of the day, what we can definitively say is he became locked into hyperpartisan politics and he ceased to think clearly. And it's a self-inflicted tragedy. Clearly, he doesn't mind it. That you know, He doesn't mind if it's a tragic opera as long as he's the... Center of the opera. Well, is the star of the opera. But the sheer destruction of his own legacy, the destruction of much of his own life, and 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 the destruction of some of the lessons that his leadership represented is it's a massive amount of damage and for what? I mean, you, you're very eloquent in the piece and you're always funny and smart as hell. But uh, what do you say when people ask you that? You know, I I, I tell them that Rudy went through a, a period of about eight or 10 years as mayor and in the immediate post 9-11 aftermath when he when he was th- the center of so much mm-hmm. and the adrenaline pumping 
all the time was, and you, you and I can remember how restless the guy was all the mm-hmm. time, up all night, up early, up, you know, always moving. And I think at some point the spotlight moved away from him. He started to feel unappreciated and lonely and Trump offered in that weirdly feral way. Trump has a finding a weakness in a person. He offered Rudy this, this new spotlight, this new stage. And, and it was, it enabled Rudy to put aside and put behind all the things that had happened as the business had declined, you know, in the, in, in the post Bush era, as, as his legal standing had sort of become a footnote as his presidential campaign imploded all those things trump gave him a way to say hey it's your late you're late in the career but i'm going to give you one more shot at the spotlight you can take it go do the rudy show and they're both creatures of that new york post elaine's mm-hmm. um you, you know w- new york gossip world where that you know rule of all press is good press and i think for a while rudy thought you know, I'm going to be back in the centerpiece of all this stuff. I could be a secretary of state or attorney general or something else. And he should have known he's a sophisticated person that Trump was always going to pull the football away at the end. But I think that that he missed being in the center of something huge and consequential all the time when he couldn't feel that rush anymore. Weirdly, Rudy loved more than anything like, oh, a building has collapsed in Brooklyn. Let's get in the truck and go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very There's liberal. a fire in Queens. Let's get in the truck and go. And he didn't have that anymore. And so he slipped into that sort of comfortable, you know, I'm going to go smoke cigars in, in the Grand Havana room and have a couple of cocktails in the morning. And, and Trump Which was gave not him- typical of him as mayor, people should know. Uh, no, no, no. Um, um, cigars, yes, but <laughs> cigars, yes, yeah. Uh, do you think he used the term "trial by combat" advisedly, or do you think that was a slip? I have an opinion on this. I, but I, I think it was a slip. I think Rudy was looking at it as a as a legal arena term. I don't think he was talking about trying to get the crowd to fight. That that's my that's my honest opinion of that. It may not be popular, but I, I don't think he was trying to in, provoke violence by saying that. Although that moment. I had the flashbacks to the, all the tapes of the, of the, you know, the, the 1989 uh, and 1993 Rudy's where he, I think at the time had a much finer sense of how to calibrate the language to get people riled up. But I I don't think that, I honestly don't think that one was, I don't think there was intentionality to provoke violence with that. I may be wrong. You may disagree. I don't know. For me, it was visceral. Um, when I heard him say it, and obviously not so long after uh, there, there was combat. For me, you know, there's a, there's a piece of the Cassidy Hutchison testimony where she says Rudy said to her a few days before, you know, the sixth is going to be great. It's going to be massive, along the lines of what Bannon was hyping on his show. Right, right, right. And um, I, I think that, that sense that something big is coming on the sixth in the minds of, of people who were collaborating with the Mm ex-president or uh, trying to turn the sixth into a big culmination. Um, It was, you know, I'm I'm not saying that was the purpose of it. Um, And, and for all the testimony information, there's still some blind spots. We don't know in part because so many people took the fifth uh, or refused to testify. Mm -hmm. 
um, or may not be fully in, in their right mind. Um, but um, it seems clear to me that there was a, a loosely coordinated plan to protest at the Capitol, to march on the Capitol. Sure. And that was in, designed to intimidate. And whether it's no a matter question. of, you know, you can't, you know, you can't appeal to certain animal spirits without running the risk that, you know, everything's going to catch fire or not. That that phrase was was really decisive for me because I always believed, as you know, good people can disagree about politics. Sure. And I said that truly many times over the Trump years. Um, but that's a different a different deal. It seems to me. Yeah, I, I just think it, it felt to me more sloppy than intentional. And I could be wrong. Look, nobody nobody knows the secrets of the human heart, right? Um, but but it felt more sloppy and sort of blustery, because um, for all Rudy's cleverness, he's not a Bannon. He's not. He doesn't. No. He doesn't play that long, long game in the same way. Um, he, he, he doesn't believe be, the worst it gets, the better it is. That's true. Correct. Yes. That's, that's a very good way of putting it because, you know, Bannon being a, a you know, an avowed Leninist, he wants the world to burn. I think Rudy would have loved to have a way, even if he thought it was bullshit to bluster his way through and win a court case based on this for, for Trump. He, even if he knew it was bullshit, he would have loved to go out and because, by the way, I don't know if you remember this. The happiest I've seen him in the last 20 years is when he won that Activision case. <laughs> when he briefly goes back to practicing law, wins a big case. He was like 20 feet tall, happy, like jovial Rudy laughing backslap. I was like, what the fuck has this guy been? You know, come on. <laughs> but that's fun. That's a fascinating memory. You know, I, I, I do think that 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 victory Maybe he viewed all trial as combat. Um, I guess mm-hmm. it's, it's part of the sentence you 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 put the emphasis on. Yeah. Um, but you know, for a guy who was about law and order, for a guy who was about right. uh, 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 upholding traditions, for a guy who idolized Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. you know, Ronald Reagan's first inaugural was all about you know the the, the miracle of the peaceful transfer of power we take right. for granted. For him to play an active role. Oh in, yeah perpetuating a lie that undermined confidence in our democracy based on nothing is yep. just indescribable for those of us who knew him at one point. I also found one thing, one thing I also found indescribable was Rudy's personal belief in his legal skills was mm-hmm. largely justified. He was a good lawyer back in his time. Yeah. He understood the law. I can't imagine the conversations of Rudy in a room with people like John Eastman and Jenna Ellis and this, and these other weirdo scales that they dug out of like the back ass college of law and dairy science from wherever the fuck they come from, because he, he had a contempt for people that weren't like at his level of legal thinking back in the day. And, and I mean, I, I, I have a, rem- a memory of a moment was like he, some lawyer from uh, Acorn or something, he's like, they're jerky and idiotic. They have no idea what the... And he just proceeds to dismantle this thing. And I was like, for all that he's doing this like Rudy Show character, his legal reasoning was always, back then, like pretty tight. I don't... I, I can't imagine what he was feeling in a room with people like that, though. I mean, I mean, you know, or Sidney Powell and the... Sidney Powell. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you... Got, but I think part of it, it's, it's a cautionary tale uh, uh, about teamism. You know, hyperpartisanship's sure. a hell of a drug. And all of a sudden you say, mm-hmm. well, they're on my team. 
And so right. all of your independent judgment goes out the window. Yep. Because, I mean, yep. even, you know, about as something as fundamental as democracy and country being more important than party because, hey, they're on my team. So we'll work with what we've got. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and that, that's part of the, 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 the cautionary tale of it all. But I mean, you know, it's also, I think, remember, you're a old alternative rock fan, the Michelle Rock, uh, Michelle Shock song, you know, the secret to a long life is known when it's time to go. Yep. <laughs> that too. Yep. Yeah, I think I think he, 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 the adrenaline of his life made the exit harder. Yeah, and he's like those old campaign guys that we both know who have the wall of every pass from every event they've ever been in, who have the pictures of every county commissioner they ever shook hands with, and I think he just missed being the center of everything. But it was inevitable once he got into that world that that it would decline and decline rapidly. For, so for, for all the negative effects of ego, when the ex-mayor is addicted to attention disease, I never in a million years thought overthrow, trying to overthrow democracy would be a side. I did not have that on my Rudy bingo card. No. Well, John, thank you so much, brother, for coming on today. This is a always great conversation. A we, As always, we could talk a lot longer than we have. John, where can folks find you on social media and on CNN? Uh, well, on, on CNN, on CNN This Morning and Aaron Burnett Show are my two regular approaches. We've got a CNN digital show, Reality Check Extremist Beat. And, I love that uh, one. You know, at, yeah, and, uh, and at, at John Avalon on Twitter and Instagram and, and all that good stuff. And check out my wife's work because she's better than me. She was firing line on PBS, Margaret Hooper. Absolutely. She's the, she's a star, buddy. You are, you, awesome. you, as always, married up. <laughs> All right. Well, John, thank you again, brother. We will talk to you again very soon. I appreciate right. it. And uh, we Great will go time, from there. Man. All right. Rock on. Be well. Thanks. Got a two banger for you folks today on the folks who made the enemies list this week. First off, and most importantly, it's Washington's continued political media obsession with describing the people that were around Kevin McCarthy as the moderates. The moderates? Get the fuck out of here. What the fuck are you talking about? The 200 people who backed Kevin McCarthy while the 20 in the clown car caucus were trying to disrupt him? They're not moderates. These are the same people that 143 of them approximately voted to overturn the election. The ones that didn't are mostly because they're new freshmen. Um, These are people who right now have every single one of them except one vote. Gonzalez of Texas voted for the new House Rules Package, which includes the various witch hunt and show trial committees, which includes the various concessions to Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and Andy Biggs and Paul Gosar and the rest of the idiots. So the idea that reporters describe them as moderates or centrists or establishment types, it's risible. It's absurd. What the fuck, people? Now, the second group of people that are on my list this week are those moderates in the Republican Party, because there are still a handful And maybe it's 10, maybe it's 15, maybe it's 20. Some are louder, some are quieter. But there are at least 25 of them who were from districts where Joe Biden won and who were from districts that are not as deep red, insane, far-right MAGA as much of the rest of their caucus. 
Now, those people, like Nancy Mace, got out there this week and teased it and said, oh, well, we're not going to vote for this rules package because that'll send a signal that we're still... Oh, yes, really? Uh-huh. Well, one person, Gonzalez of Texas, was the one who didn't vote for the rules package. So these people want to have it both ways. And too frequently, Washington's political media culture gives them that benefit. They give them the benefit of the doubt. They come out and they say, well, you know, this is uh, obviously the Trump hardcore versus McCarthy, and that me no. 200 people who stood behind Kevin McCarthy for this fight, for the 15 long votes, 200 of them, every single one of them, would bend the knee to Donald Trump in a hot second. Try getting one of them to say on the record that the election of 2020 was legitimate. Try getting one of them to come out and say that Donald Trump shouldn't have stolen classified documents. Try getting one of them to say that Donald Trump is erratic or bizarre. Try getting one of them to come out and say they're going to back anybody else for president in 2024 other than Donald Trump. The McCarthy caucus is the Trump caucus. And Kevin admitted it at the end. So folks, if you're covering these people, for the love of God, get your shit together. Because right now, you're on the enemies list. This has been The Enemies List, and if you've been enraged or engaged or enlivened by this week's episode, let's do something about it. This podcast is part of Resolute Square, a new front in the war to preserve democracy. We were looking for a place to fight back against the MAGA media, and this is it. In addition to this podcast and many others, each week, Resolute Square members will sit down with me and other founders for an intimate meeting of the minds talking about what's really going on behind the curtain of American politics and analyzing the minds and the motivations of the people that are shaping this country's future, good and bad, along with exclusive analysis and insight from our newsletters, which are anything but conventional wisdom. And yes, we'll also have merch to make the MAGA heads in your life furious and more. Become a partner in this fight at ResoluteSquare.com enemies. And folks, if you could like, subscribe, and rate the podcast, I would be enormously grateful. And I cannot tell you how grateful and how heartfelt um, your support has been for this podcast and for these conversations. And we look forward to many, many more. Thanks again. <laughs>